live from the NixCast Anthropological Institute. Today, we're talking about deadheads. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Phanthropological. Today on the show, we're talking deadheads, fans of the Grateful Dead, and with me, as always, to talk about fans and fandoms are my two best friends, G. Hey. And T. I am not a robot. Good to know. You, you've successfully passed the CAPTCHA test. Perfect. that we have on this podcast <laughs> perfect i may however be dead i'm probably not dead okay okay we'll find um, out as the as the episode progresses yeah yeah we'll have to check in on you <laughs> i might i may i'm probably not dead also very grateful though okay, okay. Yeah. just in general yeah just in general that's a good okay. that's a good way to be i think yeah, it's a good is, way to be yeah this is a good 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 vibe i'm really digging on these crunchy grooves oh, wow okay <laughs> So as, as Z mentioned, this week we are talking about Deadheads. For those of you who are not familiar with that, uh, which is fine because I had no idea until G or possibly Z brought it to my attention, uh, Deadheads are fans of the American psychedelic rock group The Grateful Dead, uh, which is where the name uh, kind of makes sense. The fandom was started in the 1970s as fans started following the band around from concert to concert, slowly forming this community with its own unique slang and idioms. Uh, the fandom and its artifacts... Um, I think this was UC Davis that said this. I'm like the somebody from that group that runs a Grateful Dead archive had said oh, that's, that uh, Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz, my mistake, no worries. Uh, was saying that perhaps the Grateful Dead and its fandom will be crucial in understanding the 1960s and the counterculture of the era. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't know who they were. That's like a quick overview before we continue on into this smooth psychedelic jam band trip into <laughs> talking about grateful dead fandom yeah so so dead obviously from the grateful dead mm-hmm. but like people also used to use people who were like like stoned out or or groovy jamming on crunchy grooves and and down with the hippie ethos heads in the 60s just in general yeah hmm. they're just like oh man the guy's a real head you know space case stoner oh yeah also, people call music that was a little more complicated head music. Interesting. Or even or even psychedelic. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that at all. Yeah. Yeah, and I was I was in, I was very interested for this to you because it was going to happen eventually at, at some point, and it happened in our second episode <laughs> that uh, you like had literally no preconceptions about about who Deadheads were. None. Like I, I had, I didn't know there was a fan. I was like, you could have told me that there are fans of some music, and I would have said yes. Of course, there are fans of some music. That was as much as you knew. That is as much as I knew. Oh wow. So I was somewhat interested, and later less interested to uh, <laughs> to conduct the research to see what that meant. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start with a fact that is not necessarily about the fans which i apologize for but i found it was interesting so apparently the grateful dead is one of the things it's famous for aside from its music is uh this device called the wall of sound oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's apparently very popular at its concerts uh it was unique in that it was designed such that the the speakers were behind the performers mm-hmm. yes and what's also interesting about that is because you know working with the microphone if anybody has worked with a microphone before, often the mic feeds back into the speaker and causes a feedback loop. So they had to design it such that that wasn't the case. A couple other interesting things that I found out about the wall of sound. Apparently it weighed 75 tons. Wow. <laughs> it was the largest concert sound system of its time. I'm assuming by the time we got to the 1990s, that was no longer the case. but Probably not. Certainly for its time. They had to design uh, a special mic to prevent the feedback. And uh, what they would do was they would record it, uh, a lot of their live albums that way, using the, the Well of Sound. 
but it would come out really tinny because of their their sound setup. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my like my softball. Not quite a fact about the Deadheads, but I I, I just want to toss something out there. I feel like that kind of goes into. Oh, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for it. it first of all, it makes them stand out. But yeah, um, you know, they're hearing it kind of the way the fans are hearing it. They're facing the opposite direction, obviously. Mm-hmm. But they're not. I assume not hearing it from monitors. So I, d- I don't know what a monitor is, but I think that was partly why they could hear it because it's a combination of a PA and monitor. Yeah. A monitor, um, I mean, at that time would just be a little amp in front of you that's pointed at you so you can hear what you're playing specifically. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And now people mostly have in-ear monitors. Right. But uh, but yeah, back then it would just be a speaker pointed at you. So that means they probably didn't have those because it wouldn't make any sense. They probably wouldn't be able to hear it anyway. And it means they were more interested in just the overall feeling of the sound as opposed to were they getting their part right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because on your monitor, you're, you're mostly just hearing yourself to make sure that you're, you're, you're on point. Yeah. But they're more interested in like the whole, the whole picture, I guess. Yeah, which makes sense, you know, knowing now what I know about the Deadheads and their style of music. Very much mm-hmm. about riffing on it off of each other and just jamming out for for tens of minutes on end <laughs> and creating yeah. creating like an atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms mm-hmm. of interesting trivia that I did find out about fans, I really didn't want to do you know these people are famous deadheads because I feel like as as we personally talked about, but not on the podcast. Uh, you know, being to be a fan, what do you need to do? You need to like something and say that you like that thing. That's it. Yeah. Yep. To be to belong to a group of fans, you just need to say that you belong and you belong. And anybody who says otherwise is a jerk. <laughs> but so I didn't want to talk about fans of the Grateful Dead, but I did find two interesting fans of the Grateful Dead who are famous and is kind of interesting. So precursor. Apparently, between 1965 and 1995, there have been 2,318 Grateful Dead shows. That's a big number, right? That's quite a lot. I ended up, in my research, being like, oh, I wonder if there's somebody who has the the most of these, and ended up reading some, which I'm not going to include in the show notes, because you you probably don't care. Uh, (laughs) Just like people talking about, oh, you know, it's not quite like being a Grateful Dead fan unless you've argued about how many shows you've been to and you know (laughs) and Coulter's been to like 50 or so and we'll come back to that and yes but what I found was ridiculous apparently one person has been to 858 shows that's like a third of the shows of all Grateful Dead shows yeah and that person is Bill Walton, a retired basketball player and sportscaster. Oh, wow. Nice. So we so. had a job. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I don't mean so. like, oh, like, like a smelly hippie who likes the dead has a job. I mean, like, to have time to go see 800 concerts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is over 30 years, right? Yes. Uh, they, uh, the article that I read was saying that that's about um how many was that it was about 77 shows a year it, it that's 200 2318 so <laughs> i a mean third there's of no that. there's no way he was like close to all of them that's true he would have had to travel to yeah to most i assume so yeah probably that? took off a few summers third, oh yeah 60. so that's like 20 shows a year probably more than 20 shows a year yeah mm-hmm did, did you guys find anything interesting? I found a few interesting things, not necessarily about the fans, but about the, uh, the band. <laughs> but I, I will start with one interesting thing I found out about the band, and it is a a classic trivia question. Oh, no. Ooh. I'm going to pose. Um, what is your guess, T and G, uh, as to what Dupree's Diamond News was? Drugs. Okay, T's guess is drugs. Are you pronouncing D- it correctly? Dupree's Diamond News. Is it Dupree or Dupre? I believe it's Dupree. Is it? Is it like a song? Hey, Jesus, a song? No, it is not drugs. Dang. No, it is not a song. 
Dang. Oh. It is a fanzine. Oh. About the Grateful Dead that started in 1987 and ran until 1997. Oh, wow. Yeah. Before that, apparently, it was called Terrapin Flyer. But um, one of the founders, uh, John... I I hope I'm saying this right. John Dwok, D-W-O-C-K. He went to India to have a spiritual adventure and came back with the idea of taking Terrapin Flyer and turning it into Dupree's Diamond News. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't. When you said news, I didn't register it as the word news. Uh, but you were like saying noose weirdly or something <laughs> like that. I thought you knew something I didn't know about saying Dupree. No. You, you, me, and Dupree. Dupree. <laughs> yeah, so apparently there was a fanzine for the dead. It had things like articles about the band, articles about the scene historical articles apparently personal ads vendor ads um both in depth just kind of like general ana- uh, analyses of songs and sets interviews was was that also the fanzine where deadheads could okay so in my research i came across this little mm-hmm. tidbit that was saying hey all you dead fans it was on like an album cover if you want to find out what's going on, you can check out, you know, mail to this list and we'll keep you informed of what's going on. Where And that, yeah, that's what I was wondering. There's a straight up Deadhead newsletter. Oh, okay. I think that's probably what it was because um, as far as I can tell, Dupree's Diamond News, even though Terrapin Flyer, what it was originally, was something that people just handed out at concerts, Dupree's Diamond News was actually a subscription fanzine. Oh, so people would pay for a year subscription, just like with any magazine, and then it would just be mailed out. And um, the reason why I know this is because the uh, the the article, the forum post on Dead.net, where I found out about this, actually had a few people in the comments saying, "You owe me a refund," <laughs> because I guess <laughs> I guess it finished like it just stopped in the middle of 1997. So people had paid for the full year, but only got like half the year's worth of of a subscription. (laughs) Nice. Which The Dead was basically, I mean, Jerry Garcia died in 1995. Yeah. Yeah. So the the official Dead was like, no more. Hmm. But I mean, it looks like they're still happening today. There's lots of other things that the other members of the band do. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. uh, Actually, I have here the first Deadhead newsletter which was uh, sent out at the end of 1971, which is, I think, at that point, they were starting to pick up new fans. Yeah, it looks like it, based on what my notes say. Yeah, whereas they started uh, in the mid-60s, Hyde Ashbury, San Francisco, Ken Kesey, Very Pranksters, Acid Tests, that whole scene. <laughs> so I assume up to that point, most of, the, most of their fans had been people from that scene. Yeah. And it was like... The scene was now turning around with the dead. But like 71, 72, they started to pick up new fans. Just saw described as like the younger brother fans. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, the yeah, younger yeah. brother's like, hey, check check out this sweet band. I'm like, what? I've got an interesting bit of trivia that ties us to last week's episode. Ooh, I'd love to hear it. I mean, you guys will probably guess, but that's fine. What do Star Trek fans and Grateful Dead fans have in common? It, it, I'll give you a hint. It's a famous person. Shocking. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Not from the 60s. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't, little, I don't think so. A little anticlimactic. <laughs> um, hmm. I'm going to say Gene Roddenberry was a fan. <laughs> Good guess. <laughs> Z? I am going to say Spock himself, Mr. Leonard Nimoy, was a fan. Good guess. Uh... I don't actually know. I'm assuming not. <laughs> I don't. I don't have answers that aren't the thing that I wrote down, guys. <laughs> so Whoopi Goldberg. Oh. oh, she was actually a friend of one of the band members, but also obviously a huge fan of Star Trek. Uh, she was Guinan in Next Gen, and yeah. a huge fan of Grateful Dead. She's a Deadhead. Cool. So that was the inter- That was that's all the interesting facts that I found. Hey, now we have a new thing we have to do every episode. 
wait, what? No, wait, connect, no, wait. connect two episodes together. <laughs> well, I mean, over time, we'll have more episodes to connect together, so that should be easier. <laughs> no, I mean, ones that we are can, numerically together. Oh, we can call. Oh, Ooh. I was gonna say we can call that segment "Madman at a at a at a cork board with push pins and string." <laughs> Do you want to? Maybe it's a catchy title. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> We should uh, wordsmith that a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think it's good. I think it's good. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> You're not going to go with like beautiful I've... mind or, <laughs> or or like conspiracy theory or anything like that? No. Okay. No, no. See, I respect your artistic merit and integrity. That's good. That's good. <laughs> okay. okay. Also. All right. Yes. Oh, I've, I've got another okay. bit of trivia. Um, so we will be getting into this a little bit later, the whole, uh, idea of fandom as religion. Yep. Um, but I, I do want to say, or rather, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make this into another trivia question. Okay. Um, in what year was the church of unlimited devotion founded? Uh, 1974. Okay. He's saying 1974. G. I've already overbid. I'm pretty sure. 1987. 1987. By the uh, power of Price's Right rules, G <laughs> would have gotten it, but G is still off by four years because it was officially founded on paper, no less, in 1991. What? Oh wow! By Joseph Leon the Third and mm. Carolyn Rago. And this is this Joseph Leon character was uh, the CFO, and then Carolyn Rago was the CEO. Oh, yeah. So they had it all all out in documents and all drawn up, very official. Hmm. We'll mm-hmm. we'll obviously in, later in the episode explain what that means to anybody who doesn't have any idea, which <laughs> normally would have been us, but in this case is everyone else now. It's a little it's a little tease. Stay yeah, little tuned tease. for the the good word from the Church of Unlimited Devotion. I lied. Oh I do have one extra bit of trivia, but only because I just thought of it and because it's goofy. All right. Sure. Which, uh, it's another famous fan. Uh, I'll give you a, can you guess who it is? Uh, you, they're a big fan of killing people. Uh, Marilyn? Ooh. Oh, not Marilyn. <laughs> Charles Manson. Okay. G? Um, I feel like the dead, um, are too late for Hitler to have enjoyed them. <laughs> um, I, I can see him going to a show wearing some tie-dye, letting his hair down. Not a lot of hair to let down. Okay. Um, no. All right. Do you want to try something? That uh, could let, me, actually let me see here. It? Let me see here. Uh, Dexter. Ooh. Like the fake fictional character or yes which fictional character the <laughs> these the murderer or the child the murderer okay i mean i so, don't know how much dexter from dexter's lab liked killing people uh not a lot i don't think <laughs> he at least um, didn't do it on the show not no. that we know of uh not that we know of. <laughs> okay so the answer is george r, r. martin um, oh wow. yeah sneaky sneaky little yeah that is sneaky. I, I even yeah, did yeah. read that yeah, I figured it would stick out. There was there was some other ones like Will Arnett, and I'm like, there's nothing here to add on. I tried to Google, you know, anything that they'd done that's mm. particularly famous. Because when reading up on Star Trek, you know, some of these fans did things. They auditioned, or they were huge fans of Gene Roddenberry. But a lot of them are, you know, they just like I'm. I've I, I will go on record as being a fan of The Grateful Dead. Said Ann okay. Coulter, probably. I read an interview <laughs> with Ann Coulter about her being a deadhead. Yes. yes, I, we'll get to we that. I guess I guess we all re- read that part of it. If you want least. to see more famous people that are fans of the dead, go to the Deadheads Wikipedia page and <laughs> scroll to the bottom. Uh, we will not read it for you here. <laughs> okay, so as we were talking about before, the Grateful Dead emerged out of the the height Ashbury like hippie scene in uh, in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and um, and kept that that ethos of like the sixties. I don't want to say it. like fr- free yeah freedom, uh, communal 
ownership kind of thing. Yeah. Because I'd say, I'd say possibly one of the most famous things, perhaps aside from the deadheads themselves about the dead, is that like all their shows were taped. Yeah. Or pretty much all. I think it was Jerry Garcia was like, once I played the note, I'm done with it. <laughs> then anyone, anyone can have it. Man, oh man. That's, yeah. uh, that's a very free love kind of like yeah. idea. Very hippie yeah. idea. So, so you have, if, if the music of Grateful Dead makes is your favorite music, you are one of the luckiest fans alive. <laughs> because there is so much content, you possibly yeah. will never be able to get through it. Yeah. To the point where there was like a section of the audience reserved for people taping the show. Yeah. Which is crazy considering yeah. how many other bands like locked down on that. Oh yeah. But one of the things that made them so appealing to people. Mm. Yeah, well yeah, and um along with that, I think one of the reasons why people would want to tape so many dead shows is because apparently their set list was never the same. Probably did did a very like, eh, what do we feel like tonight? Yeah. Or that one song went 20 minutes longer than we expected. Uh. So, <laughs> we'll cut this one. The nature of the jam band. Yes. What I, what I found interesting, kind of touching on that, having the group of people, the, the tapers, was that, you know, originally came into this with no preconceptions, just fans of music. I later found out many different subcultures and cultures in this massive community of deadhead fans um like a combination of different things too like there's this there's a generational factor there's like different groups uh with really weird names <laughs> I'm being, a lot of them are based on their songs i think not being familiar with any grateful dead music yeah only having listened to like a small handful of music just come across as really weird names like the wharf rats yeah, that one, that one seems like <laughs> I guess, yeah, the, pretty weird. Um, yeah. But yeah, you've so for for example, there's the Wharf Rats, who were people who kept other patrons of the of the show like tried to help them stay off drugs, stay drug free. Uh, mm. The and I'm sure we'll dig into these a, a little bit more, but just to quickly go over them, like the Spinners or the Church of Unlimited mm. Devotion, you know. They used music in their in their worship services. They were at the shows. They were basically a cult. Uh, the Minglewood Town Council, who you know, kind of helped clean up the shows, which I'm sure would have been ridiculous. Uh, yeah. The In the Darkers or the Touchheads, which I can only, in my reading, can only assume were the first hipsters. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> I well, I have this quote that says like dist the fragile ecosystem of a grateful dead show i have the same quote yeah. <laughs> which led right to here. wiser deadheads and if that doesn't sound like a hipster to me i'm not sure um <laughs> what does that and then there's this a... then there's this generational factor which is his own thing mm -hmm. yeah because the the bands have like kept going as the band went on like it was, it was never just like the same group of people were following them. Mm -hmm. Like new people kept coming in. Yeah. Old people left. You know. Yeah, people would age out of it. People would just like have their fill. Mm -hmm. When looking at the generational notes that I took, which are very brief, uh, there's kind of like a weird echo thing going on because there's the original fans, then there's fans who are like you know got into it from their older brother know mostly people from college mm -hmm. then you got yeah. this communal group again people selling things at the shows in the 1980s the tapers um growing exponentially and then in the 1990s you've got again not college people necessarily but actually i do have college educated in there rich young male college educated people like every 20 years you get this group coming back mm -hmm. well it's like those guys coming in the late 80s with the the, the touch heads were um they had a hit in 87 oh called touch of gray oh yeah that was the one i and that's the one i knew before we actually did this and uh that brought a lot of people in perhaps too many people for the ecosystem to handle it uh mm -hmm. gracefully because mm -hmm. 
But people are like, oh, look at this crazy thing where everybody is all like a hippie and they like follow the band around. I want to do that. Yeah. And then there was um, growing pains, it sounds like, at that time. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as as is the case with pretty much every fandom, um, I'm going to go on record and say right now, whenever there's an established community around something and then there's something that triggers a new influx of people, that established community almost always kind of shrinks back and says, well, you're not real fans. You're just following this fad. Oh, yep. I mean, it sounds like, because the Minglewood Town Council was formed, mm-hmm. I think, in response to this. Oh. And uh, it sounds like it wasn't like, oh, get out. You're not real. It's just like people who had been around for a while trying to like guide these these young people. It's like, okay, if you want to, you know, mm-hmm. part in, just like, you know, be respectful of this, keep this in mind kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. That's that seems like a very deadhead sort of thing to do. Mhm. One of the interesting things that I found that kind of ties into that where there's this new generation of fans coming up against the the established fandom, especially considering that deadheads were by and large, you know, this ethos of hippies, free love, uh freedom in general. I think I found a secret subculture probably came about in the 90s maybe a little bit earlier. I, and I'm, I'm sure you guys found it as well, but maybe it wasn't as, as obvious. Conservative Grateful Dead fans? Ooh. That's right, we're getting political very briefly yeah. because I don't want to stay <laughs> here very long. It's dark and scary. It is <laughs> It is uh, a troubling a troubling area to be in. Yeah. So yeah. Basically so, reading that, that interview with Ann Coulter <laughs> is what made me realize that. I'm like, oh, oh. yeah. There, there was that. There was also another article. Yeah, she named I'll, names. I'll have to see if I can find the, the notes on it about, you know... Oh, actually, it was from that Ann Coulter interview. The, the quote got me about... Uh, does anybody have it on hand? Because that'll do way more justice than me trying to flub through it. Deadheads are what liberals claim to be, but aren't. Yeah, that was from Ann Coulter. And that was a really interesting point. And I got to thinking as I, as I read that and started digging around a bit more, I'm like... Is there actually like a streak of conservatism in Grateful Dead fans? Because suddenly that made everything way more interesting again. Dead <laughs> reds, red heads. Oh yeah, maybe. <laughs> and I listened to this uh, the end of this podcast because it's a very long podcast, and there was an interview with a person whose name I don't remember. Anyway, it was on the Huffington Post talking about Grateful Dead fans, and it was like, you know, why do you like listening to this music? And the the podcaster was talking about, you know, being from the opposite side of the country they were on the east coast in dc they grew up listening to the punk music scene in in dc and they're like you know i listen to the grateful dead and i'm like you know the alman brothers are playing really horribly today (laughs) like listening listening to the grateful dead and it's like no no no. it's like so it's like what do you what is it that you know really gets you into the grateful dead what is it and when i heard this i thought you know i can see how you might be able to take the Grateful Dead and frame them in this way. And we might even touch on this when we get talking about um, fandom as ritual. But he was saying that, you know, the Grateful Dead, you know, it's great American music. It's apolitical. It's about freedom, you know. And and when I read that and read some other things, it was just like, you know, screw the government, Um, (laughs) you know, very much in the favor of like small government kind of. I'm like, I can see how you'd see that. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. it's a very self-indulgent band. It's like you know, it's just all about fun times without drugs. Um, mm-hmm. As Ann Coulter's interview was very important to note. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I, as the guy kept talking, it became more apparent that may, that I could see how it'd be a very conservative thing too, because you know it's very hard to get into. There's a high barrier to entry. Was the claim that was made. I could see like a link to elitism. Mm-hmm. Not not that I think there's actually a huge barrier to entry. It seems like fans of the Grateful Dead are just like, yeah, you, you're a fan. It's the same problem with any fandom, right? You just say you're a fan. Yeah, exactly. Or consequently, you say you're a fan and people say you're not a real fan because you haven't done this. So no different in that sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also he was mentioning it's like, you know, they're not the they're not the same as other fans like the Touchheads. And it's just like, oh, wow. Um, so I was wondering if maybe maybe there's like another fan subculture in there, a conservative subculture. 
I can definitely see the conservative subculture being in there because I remember, um, especially in the uh, documentary that I, I found on YouTube, I'll be sure to throw it in the show notes, um, a lot of the people who were being interviewed were sit- like, a lot of the people, okay, this, this was a documentary made in 94, so kind of in, I guess, maybe the last age of the deadhead, so to speak before um before jerry's passing mm-hmm. um and a lot of the a lot of the older deadheads seem to have this sort of like idea that there's life at the grateful dead shows where everything's you know very freewheeling you can like make veggie burritos in the parking lot to earn enough money to keep following the band or whatever and then there's like you know leaving that scene and having to take a boring nine to five job and just living like everybody else. And then within the younger deadheads who will like seem to be, <laughs> who really reminded me of, uh, my first year roommate in university <laughs> who very much seemed to be like nineties flower children, so to speak. Mm. No offense. Like they're great people. They seemed very accepting, but they would constantly refer to everything outside of the Grateful Dead scene, the Grateful Dead subculture as Babylon. Babylon. Babylon in the sense that, like you know, like the whole I don't know what sort of, I don't know what subculture it would be rooted in, but the whole idea, you know, Babylon is falling. Babylon is this society that worships money and is totally unhappy because of that. Mm. And because these people were within this this environment that was very much like inspired and very much carried on the 60s ethos of uh, free love and free commerce and and freedom in general they saw what they were doing as being way more natural and way more environmentally conscious and way more socially conscious than what everybody else in the entire outside world was doing mm. and so i can definitely see there being like kind of some uh, conservatism across the board, although with the younger fans at that point, it seemed more like it was, it was like, because the nineties, the nineties in the States were so liberal as it was, well, with Clinton in office and everything <laughs> and like playing sax on the white house lawn and doing things in <laughs> oval offices and whatnot. Um, <laughs> we're still political, right? I can still say that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know if you want to rebel against that what might seem like a very decadent society it seems like the the best way to do it would be to go into this subculture where you're just living more free without the sort of restrictions of having a regular job or uh, buy, buying into this very materialistic culture because outside of i guess deadhead society materialism seemed very much the 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 flavor of the day. Hmm. Fair, I can see that. That was a lot more than I expected to come out talking about the community and subcultures of deadheads. <laughs> oh yeah. I think to a certain extent, if you feel a certain way and then you also like a thing, you're gonna read the way that you feel into the thing that you like. Yeah. Especially if it if you identify with it as part of your personality. Yeah. As I was doing my research and I was as I was listening to a little bit of of the Grateful Dead stuff, um, like it really it really struck me that maybe part of the reason why they're so popular is because because they've got this huge body of work, because the band itself is kind of like freewheeling about what they put out there. Like uh, earlier, I think T you had said that Jerry was on record as saying, "Once I play a note, I'm done with it." That was that was Jesus me that said that. Uh, I think it was G who said that. <laughs> that that uh, was me that said that Jerry said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Don't oh worry. Boy. Once we say the words, uh, we're done with them. Okay, good. good. <laughs> said T good. as quoted by T. <laughs> fans, fans, remix this episode, please. Oh, wow. That'd be that'd be actually kind of impressive. <laughs> Mix it with like some Grateful Dead music. I'm sure oh, I wouldn't boy. be able to tell the difference. Oh, man. That'd be awesome. <laughs> please cut out of in the episode. <laughs> Anyway, looking anyway. forward to it. But I mean, what I think the, the Grateful Dead had was that they just had so much stuff out there, and they were, at the time and 
I guess, continuing forward into time, in time. So, uh, unlike anything else out there that people could just sort of read into them what they wanted. Freedom is a huge concept. And to say that somebody's music represents freedom is basically saying this music can be whatever you want it to be. On, on the note of the music being what you want it to be. Uh, I mean, this is not necessarily about the fans, but kind of about the music, but kind of about the fans. Ooh. Because it was, it was pointed out to me in, um, in an article I was reading. Um, Grateful Dead, their music is not that psychedelic. Oh. Their actual music isn't. They don't, on the studio albums, they don't use, like, any trippy weird effects, you know, on their voices or anything like that. It's just, like, you know, the band as it is. Mm-hmm. It's mostly, like, bluesy. Yeah. Which a lot of psychedelia was, like, trying to get away from blues-based rock. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, very Americana, some folk in there. Yep, some country. Um, uh, Reminding you a little bit of the band or Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young or something like that. Mm-hmm. Very American. But it it wasn't actually that psychedelic, but the way they approached it was just this constant... I don't want to say noise, but like constant music was what made the experience so so interesting for everyone. Yeah. As long as there was music happening, everyone was having a good time, it seemed. Yeah. Actually, man, that reminds me of another article that I came by. Hmm. It was this article called Confessions of a Deadhead, 40 Years with the Grateful Dead. Hey, a, I have it open in front of me. <laughs> by a, a Bob Pisani. On CNBC of all places. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things that he wrote in this article that really, really stuck with me was that he, as a, you know, as a deadhead himself, openly admitted that, you know, sometimes the band wouldn't play very well. But the fans never noticed because they were so caught up in, like, the vibe of a Grateful Dead show. Yeah. Which in itself, you know, really plays into that whole idea that their music is so free, it can just be whatever you want it to be, and it doesn't even need to be good, per se. So, I, I thought it was interesting because in the research, people are like, oh, it's there's just this X factor, there's this vibe about the Grateful Dead, which I am not... I'm not up on it. Like it is not a thing that I, that I got into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did not feel the vibe. <laughs> I felt like an anti-vibe. Ooh. It like robbed vibes from me. I, I understood what the vibe was, mm-hmm. but did not catch it. Yeah. But, uh, oh, go ahead. I, I think I could, uh, I think I could pull a Lindsay Weir if uh, the situation presented itself. At, at what? Spoilers for those who haven't seen 17-year-old television series Freaks and Geeks. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> it takes place in 1980, and at the end, Lindsay decides to, instead of competing in some dumb math competition, <laughs> to just follow the Grateful Dead around. The Grateful yeah. Dead had not been mentioned in any episode up to that point, pretty much. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like she's... A, I'm just saying the character wasn't like always in love with the dead or something <laughs> like that. Just, no. She just decides as more of like, I'm going to take control of my life and do what I want and go yeah. follow a band around instead yep. of being some dumb math person. That was that was how the series ended. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Got it. I think it's kind I'm of saying, a good way. Like trying to place the dead culturally in the time. Yep. That was yep. a thing that you could do. Yeah. But I also think that like the way that that show ended is a really great explanation of why you know, all of these college educated people who I guess, you know, should know better or whatever <laughs> liked the dead and followed the dead and everything. All these smart people were really into it. And I think there's that element of freedom again. Cause it's everywhere, man. Alright. It's, uh, it's my best vibe. Sorry, sorry, T. That's okay. <laughs> uh, what I found interesting was this vibe the the concept of a vibe and it's just something that the grateful dead has it's like magic um and the same article the confessions of a deadhead 40 years with the grateful dead was talking about how that vibe had all the hallmarks of religion it had sacred rites sacred drugs dancing mystical union with some vague other um 
and as you mentioned, the freedom, or in this case, in their words, representing a release from civilization's stifling rules. Yeah. Uh, the quote that I wrote down also was, fans loved it even when the live shows were boring and just noodling. Yeah. But I found another article which, interestingly enough, makes a similar point. If I if I spin it a bit different, see, if I spin it a little... Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I found an article <laughs> on Slate, uh, which is appropriately for me, uh, as I was very frustrated in my research, called A Long Stayed Trip, How Deadheads Ruined the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Ooh. And um, what was interesting about it was, you know, it mentioned the same elements. It mentioned this element, how fans felt that the music was so magical. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was what was different about it than anything else was that the band could just summon it from thin air. It was just something that was always there. And this person's experience was like, no, that is not the case. Yeah, it really bugged him. Uh, yeah. Uh, he was talking about, you know, the fans were always obsessed with the band, whether or not the band was any good. In fact, they were often quite bad. They had their own rituals, you know, wearing the same tie-dye stuff. They would often take the the lyrics of music out of context. Yeah. Um, it wasn't about the other. It wasn't about actually freedom. It wasn't about expanding your mind. It wasn't about learning or anything like that. The Grateful Dead would play with other bands, and these people would ignore the opening act because they didn't care. They were just there for the dead. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was much like in some the case of some religions, it was very restrictive because it was this safe little bubble. It didn't matter how bad the performance was. The band, in particular, always had the fans to fall back on, and as such, didn't need to change or improve. It was just a static little time capsule. Hmm. Hmm. I found that interesting because it's like two completely different viewpoints about of the same thing of the, yeah, this X factor of this vibe of this pseudo religious element in fandom, but like from completely different views. Yeah. Speaking to that point as well in the same article, I remember him mentioning that the band started out as a rallying point for outcasts, but then became a much more provincial and closed society. Yeah. I do remember reading that too. Yeah, it started out, but then it just kind of became that bubble, which did make it a really good time capsule. True. Do you think that the Grateful Dead will still be relevant in like 10, 20 years? I, I, I think at the very least they will be academically because of the work of one Nicholas G. Merriweather. Oh, I thought you were going to say Nicholas G. Nicholas and G. just leave it at that. I'm doing a lot of work. <laughs> doing a lot of work, you guys. Okay, well, in response to that, T... Let me ask you this question. Are they relevant now? Uh, if you asked me, I hadn't heard, like, I was aware of them as a band, but I don't know. I would argue no. I think they will be as relevant as they are now. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, there there will still be, I think there's always going to be a, a certain section culture who is, like, into them. Well, okay. Kind there's of lots along, to explore. Yeah. Totally along these lines. Because... They are now, like, because UC Santa Cruz now has this deadhead archive, and they now have an archivist working it, uh, Nicholas Nicholas Merriweather, do you think because of that, that makes the fandom way more academic? And so it, like, kind of puts it under glass, so to speak? Stifles it a bit, a little bit? Nope. No? I think, well, I, th- I think... If you wish to continue your learning beyond uh, uh, this course of the Next Cast Anthropological Institute, I'm sure there are schools that do have uh, courses on deadheads and the dead. Yeah, definitely on pop culture. Especially as a fandom. Yeah. They are worth examining. I think you'll find way more active. I'd, I'd say the deadheads are like the Latin of, of fandoms. Mm. And that they are a... <clears throat> It, it, dead it, language it, it, <laughs> ah. there's no way that's not coming up um, <laughs> well just like thinking about other fandoms you know there's you know harry potter fans and star trek mm-hmm. and star wars and many other franchises but there's been a lot more investigation into those and i think there's possibly a lot more to be said about those than deadheads also to talk about your point z i think that you know just because they're there's an archive, a large volume of work from that. doesn't really matter. Archive.org is a, a small organization dedicated to archiving the internet. And I think that is way more valuable than archiving some deadhead stuff. 
I'm not even talking about value. I'm talking more about like because it's a university archive that like brings it not solely, but it brings it very much into the academic world in a much more serious way. I still don't think so. Hmm. Kind of feel like that maybe starts the Latinization of it, so to speak. Mm, I don't know. Do people really? I'm not that's not important. I, that's no, not, it, yeah. it does. It's 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 totally an open question. It's a yeah. question that I think is really all about freedom. <laughs> There's also, in addition to like, you know, people will be interested in the dead and the culture of the dead and stuff like that as time goes on. There's also new bands that are similar. Yeah. That have the same vibe, notably Fish. Yes. Right. Yeah. They don't as much have the, the like, the hippie ethos to them. No. But but they're very similar in a lot of ways. They do a lot of extended jams. They encourage everyone to tape their shows. Yep. And they enjoy the occasional marijuana cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Do they ever. Yeah. But I mean, the one thing, like, I don't know if it's, I feel like, I feel like kind of, kind of come back a little bit, sorry. But I've, you're editing it. That's uh, true. That's true. I'm not, not not sorry. Never sorry. Hashtag never sorry. Hashtag not sorry. Hashtag editor. Hashtag <laughs> um, <laughs> editor. I, I think that somebody may have had a hashtag marijuana. <laughs> I think I might have had some hashtag hash. Uh, okay. <laughs> Give me a second. Yep. <laughs> oh. Okay, I'm back. I'm good. Yes. Right. yes. I'm good. Okay. Uh, backtracking a little bit. Um, one of the things that came up a few times in my research, and it's not, you know, it's, well, it's not so much about the fans as it is about the band. The mantra for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. But um, in this interview that I found, with the band's former manager and the interviewer asked the former manager you know one of the things that a lot of people say about the grateful dead is that they were one of the first bands to really get out there and do branding mm -hmm. and then the manager shot back well like not really i mean they didn't weren't they didn't he said that they weren't so much into branding as it was that they just listened to their fans and apparently they actually hired on a secretary named Eileen Law, who was basically paid to just take calls from deadheads and like answer deadhead fan mail <laughs> all day long. Wow. And as far as I know, they're the first band to really have done that in such a way that like connected them with the fans, not just through some PR firm or PR person, but through somebody who actually like had the job of basically being the liaison to the fans do you guys think that's why the grateful dead even though they might not be super relevant now had so much staying power as a band they in a way they really had to they leaned on the deadheads a lot yeah because for long periods they were not popular apart from that true they would do like we're doing five nights yeah. At the same place in LA. Yeah. Well, Deadheads will be there. Yep. Even five nights at Red Rocks in Denver. Deadheads will be there. Mm -hmm. They ensured that they could play kind of wherever for however many times and they would they would sell the place out or have a full audience kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So they there it was a symbiotic relationship. They needed they needed to be close to the fans. Yeah. Did we talk about the spinners and, and stuff? I briefly explained them, but I didn't have too much more than that. According to my research, <laughs> the spinners okay. were, in fact, accused of being some kind of crazy cult. As I mentioned earlier in the show, um, they weren't officially founded as a religion until 1991, but apparently the spinners were always just sort of there, just these people who would come to shows and the way that they would dance was this very distinctive 
spinning, like these whirling dervishes in in Sufi worship. Sufi being like this, not necessarily exclusive to Islam, but like this Middle Eastern take on mysticism fueled by uh, Islam or Judaism or Christianity. Yeah. From what I read about it, it sounded like like a uh, like a euphoria or like a Saint Vitus dance. Yes. Sort of thing. Yeah. Like a shamanistic sort of. Yeah. You're like the channel. Yeah, definitely. For some kind of spirit, and you're getting that through the music. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like that word, that word especially, shaman, mm. really makes it clear to me how these the the fans in the in the '90s saw it so strongly as to create a religion around it because i know in the 90s um you know all of the environmentalism all of the all of the people wanting to break free of babylon were very much into the idea of shamanism and that kind of thing and one of the th one of the main tenets of the church of unlimited devotion was that jerry's guitar was an instrument of god's voice oh yeah yeah um having heard some one of their live shows i can't say that i agree <laughs> but uh i get it yeah i get it yeah yeah i wonder too if it was just like it, they're at they're at the beginning of the 90s yeah and they're and they're getting in on dead concerts yeah and they see the kind of structure of what deadheads are like because mm -hmm. you've had like 25 years of that at that point yep deadheads being around and like the way things work is every is very set so mm -hmm. if i was just a new young guy college coming into that i'd be very impressed yeah and so and the dead would seem like you know these these beings kind of on a on a pedestal just because look at look at all this that that they attract that they bring with themselves that they made mm -hmm. so i can definitely see that sort of thinking in terms of like like experiencing the the guitar as like like god's word or god's truth or something like that yeah well dennis mcnally the the historian of the grateful dead and also i guess of the deadheads in some sense <laughs> um actually wrote in in his book um about the grateful dead that the church of untold devotion was mostly people who were 18 to 25 hmm. and according to his observations it seemed like they were sort of spiritually homeless so that like sense of community around spinners that's in that sense of community i guess in the general deadhead population sort of became a substitute family for them hmm. and even outside of the context of of making a religion out of it in the documentary that I, I watched on YouTube, that was something that kept coming up. A lot of these people who were following the band around um, either like just didn't get along with their parents or they came from broken homes or, you know, there was some sort of like tension in their in the family. And being at the Dead show, I guess, gave them the, that sense of community that they always associated with the sense that you'd get from a family so they just like really clamped on to deadhead culture and started touring with the band hmm so this subset of people that were like really really wanted something like that to to grab onto yeah so you had a very fervent little following yeah yeah and it was really interesting in in that documentary keep going back to it it's quite the well um but at some point in the documentary the uh, person behind the camera catches a woman from england and she compares deadheads to the travelers hmm. like what do you mean the travelers like the wandering minstrel well the the wandering minstrels are just like the travelers um i think i think in the movie snatch was it brad Pitt? the gypsies the gypsies yes the pikeys the pikeys yes. take your pick <laughs> um all all and uh all of them just yeah. all of them and so it seemed like there is this this precedent for it in england that just wasn't in the states and that's why everybody thought it was so weird in america it's a very european kind of thing yeah and then it, also in another 
documentary I found on YouTube, um, which would seem to be way more like a fan's home movie edited together kind of. <laughs> hey, that's the one I watched. <laughs> it's cool, like an anti-documentary. Cool. There's no narrative. Yeah. There was no stated narrative. Yeah. So it was. It was kind of like the Grateful Dead then. Yep. It was all about freedom. <laughs> anyway, in that documentary, they um, ask a woman from France what she thinks about all this because she's going to the show where she's just sort of around the parking lot or something. She's in the space, and she basically just shrugs her shrugs her shoulders and says, "Well, you know, this isn't anything strange or bizarre." It's just very carnivalesque, and that got me thinking. Well, again, maybe in America this was such a weird big deal because they just don't really have a history of having these huge street festivals where everybody comes together and there's this huge communal feeling, this huge communal vibe, like they like they've had for centuries in Europe. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, America's much larger geographically. They are much larger. That's true. That's true. But I mean, there are still fairs and that sort of thing. True. They can be quite isolated, though. Yeah. If you're talking about, like, the entire United States. Well, it's it's not like the entirety of Europe got together and had a party, you know? And, like, King Henry was passed out on the couch. It's, I mean... All of, all of the King Henrys from that, every nation. That could be a really exciting history lesson that I'm about to learn. <laughs> Right? Right? Uh, no? Yes. Okay, fine. Well, you see, T, we're all fourth-dimensional beings and three-dimensional uh, bodies moving in two-dimensional space. I think we're not moving in two-dimensional space. Okay. I don't think I got the Neil Cassidy quote I think, correct. I think I think I can, I think I can, I can sum this up with a few lyrics from the dead themselves. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. We can dance if you want to. We can leave your friends behind. If your friends don't dance, and if they don't dance, well, they're no friends of mine. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's did, all about freedom. Did you just say... <laughs> did you just say... <laughs> quote from The Grateful Dead? Just recite the safety dance. Yes. Yes. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> I'm just just making sure that I haven't lost my mind. In, in the middle of one of their 20 minute jams, they just prophetically quoted lyrics from a song that hadn't been done yet. All right. So they just went into the safety dance. Boy. Man, oh man. All right. What a long, strange trip it's been. Yeah. Okay. So I found a couple couple of things on um, on the dead.net forum. A couple interesting stories that people have had at at uh, dead concerts. So I didn't find any like real like insane insane stuff. This is a uh, poster named Sarah Pounders from the Wharf Rats section hmm. of the forum. Uh, this is an extreme long shot, but I am looking for a wharf rat who saved my life when I was 18 in 1994. He was 30, named Scott, and had dark brown hair, very handsome. He was a lawyer. He was traveling with Diana. He pulled me out of a fire, I forgot what fire was, and saved my life when I was on a bad LSD trip. I have always thought about him, would love to reconnect and thank him again. It was at the Omni Atlanta show. Perhaps does anyone know who he is or how I may contact? I last saw him in D.C. in 95. And I always wished I kept in touch. It would mean the world to me. I want to say he was from Philadelphia, but honestly cannot remember. He was truly representative of God. There have not been many people on earth I remembered like him, and he truly saved my life. Thank you. And? That... They, they... Oh, okay. <laughs> I was really rooting for them. <laughs> I know. Hopefully they made it. I was hoping that they'd be like, oh, the next part is we found the person. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> I just saw that bit. Uh, sadly yeah. Yeah. okay that's still pretty encouraging it's still like an interesting also that 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 they did see each other after that yeah yeah yeah. like mm-hmm. you must see you must see a lot of the same people a lot of them are like meeting meeting people or meeting strangers or meeting friends uh at dead shows yeah it's one whose username is just c underscore c uh, we were inseparable childhood friends, having gone to kindergarten together. 
up to about the second or third grade. Lisa and I were buddies, running around, playing after school, playing on the jungle gym during recess, splitting peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You get the picture. I remember crying the day her family moved away. I must have been about eight or nine at the time. Like little kids, we sent a letter or two, maybe spoke on the phone once or twice, but soon we lost touch as her family had moved to the Middle Earth. Gone were those days of fun and frolic. Fast forward a long number of years. I was at the show, and as it so happened, the boys were playing Scarlet Begonias. The boys in this case, being the Grateful Dead. I had gotten to the habit of shaking strangers' hands during that line, uh, pretty much ever since I heard that song live the first time way back when. Anyways, I turned to shake the hand of a stranger dancing behind me as we shook hands, our eyes locked. It was Lisa! Our friendship continues to this day, I'm happy to say. The boys in the band reunited me with my childhood friend. It was just one of those things that could have happened anywhere and at any time, but the fact that it happened at our show made it ever so much more special. Peace. Cool. That was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Sorry, this course into the level of the of the letters from the Star Trek one. I mean, let's just let's just say that you set the bar really high. Yeah. <laughs> for yeah. future like fan encounters, yeah. it'll be like, oh man, gotta gotta beat G. <laughs> All right, so. Not related to the Grateful Dead or Deadheads, uh, this week's Spotlight. Those of you who haven't heard this before, we're trying this thing called Spotlight, which is where we showcase something cool that's going on in some community, some fan community that we want to make known. Uh, ideally, we would, we'll talk about, uh, I'll, I'll bring up you know a really cool uh, Twitter post or like an event or something that I think you know, maybe we should raise awareness of, like a cosplayer or, or anything. Just to give you a, an idea. Um, this week, I'm shining the spotlight on Forest City Comic Con. Why Forest City Comic Con? Well, I mean, if I was being completely self-serving, I'd say it's because I'm going and it's going to be great. But <laughs> if I was not, uh, I would say because it actually has a number of really cool guests who are showing up this year. Uh, Billy West, who you may know as the voice of many characters, uh, in particular, Fry, Professor Farnsworth, uh, Zap Brannigan, Zoidberg, all from Futurama. Ren and Stimpy. Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> uh, Doug on Nickelodeon's Doug. What? That's right. That's I believe right. he's also the current voice of Bugs Bunny. Uh, yes, he was He was also the voice of Bugs Bunny in Space Jam, and he was also Elmer Fudd. Um, you know, just very well-known voice actor. A uh, number of other really cool guests that are going to be there um, and other attractions. It's going to have Aaron Eisenberg, who is Nog from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. They're going to have a full-size Optimus Prime replica. Unfortunately, it's just the truck, not like a Transformer. There is also going to be Ron Rubin. Uh, very uh, Well, you probably have heard his voice. Uh, he's been the voice of many different characters, including uh, Artemis. Um, what's the character? Oh, like uh, Sailor Moon. Yeah, from Sailor Moon. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm. Look, I'm it'd be easier if I read this rather than try to identify the um, picture. Uh, so he worked with Stan Lee on the original X Men cartoon uh, mm-hmm. and Avengers television series, as well as with Tim Burton on the Beetlejuice cartoon. He was Doom Buggy and the announcer. He was also in Cops as Doctor Bad Vibes, uh, <laughs> Police Academy the cartoon as Lieutenant Mahoney. Uh, many other characters. It's gonna have Wink Yahoo, whose real name is Scott oh Gaffey. From YTV's It's Alive and later Uh-Oh. Um, ton of comic book guests as well, um, which I'm not going to name just because I don't know who they are. And I feel really bad about announcing people that I don't actually know anything about. Uh, you can but, find them all at their website. Yeah, you can check out forestcitycomiccon.ca. Things that I didn't mention. It's taking place in London, Ontario, November 5th to 6th this year. Um, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, you can check it out at forestcitycomiccon.ca, and that's that's the spotlight of the week. You're in the you're in the southern Ontario area, or even if you want to make trek from I don't know, like New York or Michigan, or kind of where far you want to go, uh, come yeah. on down. It'll be be a good time. Chill chill on Friday, and get ready. This is the first year that the con is two days because we went last year and it was a single day. And if you don't enjoy it, I mean, I'm, I'm going and I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, it's fall in Ontario, and fall is quite nice in Ontario, so you could come and check out the foliage. Perhaps uh, yeah. buy a pumpkin, pumpkin pie, mm-hmm. harvest some apples. Pumpkin donut at Tim Hortons. 
Yeah. Check <laughs> out Tim Hortons if you're an American and have never heard of Tim Hortons. <laughs> or don't because it's Tim Hortons and there's one everywhere. I don't know. Uh, but that is the spotlight for this week. Next week, we'll bring up something else. Probably less self-serving. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I value honesty, so I'm just I'm leaving that yeah, out yeah. there. Yep, good thing I don't. Yeah. Cut, ah! cut, 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 cut. Cut, 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 cut. It is, <laughs> it is a good con. We had a good time last year when it was only one day, and I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And you can find us online at phantropological.com. If the website's not your bag, you can also check us out on various social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, all at The Next Cast. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you'd like to email us, perhaps let us know fandoms you'd like to see us cover or the numerous things that we missed in an episode about a fandom that you belong to. Nick at thenixcast.com is a place to send all that stuff. You can also check us out on Podbean or the Podbean app. I suggest you do. And uh, until next time, remember, everyone's a fan. <laughs>